Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. If you've listened to the show before, you'll know that we like to dive into the strategy of being a guest on podcasts and look at different aspects which will support you on your journey to increasing your visibility and growing your brand with podcast interviews. Being able to convey your message and communicate well is so important when you're a guest on podcasts. It's something we touched on in episode 14 with Amy SPL, and it's why Today, I'm really excited to welcome professional speaking coach Padita Andrews to the podcast. Hi, Padita. Welcome. I've really been looking forward to our conversation today. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm so happy that we're finally doing this, and I can't wait to have this conversation with you, too. Oh, me too. So you're talking to us from Paris today. What's the weather like there? It is surprisingly sunny which is not usual, (laughs) not usual for Paris in the winter. It is surprisingly sunny, a little chilly, chillier than normal, but I'll take the sun over the rain any day. Oh gosh, yes, me too. It's um, not sunny here, but it's not raining. So that's a win. (laughs) We have to take them where we can get them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you're a professional speaking coach who specializes in working with influential women and non-native speakers. I wondered if you could talk us through your journey. What made you want to be a speaking coach? This is one of my favorite questions. It's a question I also ask a lot of my own clients. And the thing I love about this question so much is hindsight is such an amazing thing. When you look over your past or you look over your life, you can see a, a straight red line, which you can't ever see when you're looking forward. It's rare, I think, to be able to really see step after step after step. And and my personal journey was really, it was like a zigzag. It really felt like a zigzag. I'm, I've moved around quite a lot. I've, I've moved seven times in my life and I'm a Canadian born my, but I'm a first generation Canadian. Didn't realize that. Yeah. I'm a first generation uh, Canadian. My, both of my parents are European And when I was 16, I moved to the States. So when I was 18, I moved to New York City and I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy where I'm actually a professionally trained actor, singer and dancer. Oh, that's so impressive. Love that. It, It was an adventure, to say the least. Living in New York at 18 was definitely an adventure and really fun. Very brave. Thank you. Like so many brave things, we don't realize it's brave at the time. It's a little bit similar to that hindsight that I was talking about before. Until we look back on something, we're not always aware that we're being that we're being brave. Now I look at it and I think, wow, not bad. <laughs> um, but when I, I realized relatively quickly that the, the life of a performer just wasn't for me, it's really nomadic and really unstable and it, it didn't really speak to me. So I went back to school and I studied Uh, broadcasting and journalism. Because I had, after I had graduated from my studies, I started working a lot with my voice. I was doing a lot of voiceover work. And so I naturally gravitated to 
uh, going back to university for broadcasting and journalism, where I ended up working for radio for not very long. I also found that that environment didn't really suit me. And when I when I came out of that experience, I started thinking, what, what am I? What's my purpose? What what's my why? And and I couldn't find an answer to that. And what I love about the journey, as far as it has brought me to today, is now when I look back on that experience, that professional experience and the educational experience, I can see a straight line right. because I use so much of what I learned in my studies with my clients. But it wasn't until moving to a foreign country that I really started thinking about how I could help people to speak in a professional context with ease and confidence and actually end up enjoying what they were doing. But it was something that I really fell backwards into. I, I even, even to the name of professional speaking coach, I sort of made it up because it encapsulates so many different areas and the clients that I work with and the issues that I help them with are also varied. It's everything from podcasting to stage speaking, to job interviews, to leading a meeting really wide ranging. <laughs> yeah. And, and so as somebody who it took a while to find their purpose, I love looking back over my experience and seeing how it all lines up pretty nicely in the end. Little building block. Yeah, exactly. Is speaking something you've ever struggled with yourself? Well, being as I'm a performer, I, I was a performer from a very young age, even before moving to New York, I, I was a dancer. I started dancing when I was nine. And I think because I studied performing in, in my formative years, I never really struggled myself with speaking because I think once you learn how to put on, and it's not always this way, but when you learn the technique of putting on the mask of performance, there's a lot of comfort in knowing the techniques to handle things like stage fright, for example, or the stress of performing. Imagine. Speaking in and of itself is not something that I've ever struggled with. That's so wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I, I do feel fortunate when I, again, when I'm working with, with clients, and it is what brought me, just to go back to your journey question, it's something that really brought me to where I am today because, because it is something that I know how to do intrinsically and technically when I see somebody who's struggling the, my first thought is it doesn't have to be like this this is a problem with a solution yeah you know there are so many problems in this world that we don't have solutions for or that the solutions are not within our control but this stress and this anxiety about around speaking is something that we can fix it doesn't have to be as stressful and fear inducing as it is for so many people. And that is what led me really finally to becoming a speaking coach, because I don't want anybody to let fear stop them. That's really nice. I like that. So if someone struggles with communicating, how can they learn to speak with confidence? Well, I think what's really, really important is I have an analogy that I use in my work and it's an analogy that I really love because I think it works really well. And it's, I use it the example of a house. And if somebody's really struggling, the absolute first thing that they need to tap into is their why. They have to know what their why is in whatever circumstance they're 
faced with. And in the analogy of the house, the why is the foundation. You can't build a house without a foundation and you can't speak in a formal way without your why. If you don't know why you're there, if you don't know why you want to participate or why you want to share the message or the knowledge that you want to share, it's going to be a completely stressful and unclear and dizzying kind of experience. Conversely, when you are connected to your why, it acts as what I call in my work, an anchor. It steadies you, it supports you, it keeps you on course. I think that if someone is really struggling, but, but, and this is an important, but they want to speak, the first thing that they can do to start managing the stress around it is to get curious within themselves and say, okay, well, why, why is it important to me? Why does it matter? Why should people hear what I have to say? And that is one thing that will immediately start to ground and center and center you. That's such good advice. Thank you. I'll have to try that. So if someone's got a speech coming up and they're feeling under pressure about how to present themselves and there's the crutch words they're trying to watch and trying to make sure they come across as professionally as possible. So what advice would you offer about how to show up when you're speaking? This is such a great question. And I have what some people might consider an unorthodox position on crutch words or what we also sometimes call filler words. And it's something I've spent a long time thinking about. I think that there's there's two elements that need to be considered. And sometimes they're elements that are similar. They can be similar. And sometimes they feel like they're really in opposition. And the elements are what's the context in which you're speaking and what is truly you? What is your authentic self? Because when I work with clients, my, my ethos, the, the plaque above my proverbial door is communication, not perfection. Oh, I like that. Because the, the, the goal, the objective is to have your message heard. If you have something to say, you want to share it and you want it to be heard. And so you want to communicate it. And especially just, and I'll come back to the two elements in a minute, but especially being a foreigner, living in a foreign country where the language is not my own, I lived through this feeling of perfectionism and this feeling of, if I am not perfect, Mm -hmm. I would rather just not speak. Right. And when I first moved to Paris, I had a relatively good knowledge of French, but after a couple of months, I just, I saw, I was just making mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, for anyone who's familiar with the French language, the grammar is no joke. (laughs) I mean, they they did serious business, the, the French grammar. And I started to feel myself retreating and shutting down. And I woke up one day and I just, just, I just decided I was going to stop speaking altogether. Really? Because, yeah, because this feeling of looking stupid became so overwhelming. And when that feeling started to gain momentum, it started, it, it really just 
decimated my confidence and it decimated my ideas. Something happened in my brain where the, the fear of looking foolish or making a mistake became significantly present that I couldn't even think of what my ideas were that I wanted to share. Oh, yeah. No, I understand that. So I just stopped. I just said, I'm tired of feeling and looking what I thought was Mm -hmm. looking foolish. I'm just going to stop speaking. And I stopped saying, you know, anything more than what was necessary for a couple of months. It was not a pleasant time. (laughs) And no, I can imagine you and I have chatted a few times. I think you have a sense of my personality. Anybody who knows me knows I'm really gregarious. I'm talkative, Mm -hmm. friendly, outgoing. Absolutely. I love to talk. It was a weird moment to embody. And I woke up one day and I said to myself, this is not who I am. I can't do that. I can't live like this. I can't, I can't live like this. And that was when the idea of communication, not perfection was born. And I just started speaking and I would, I would make a joke and I would say, you know, as soon as I opened my mouth, I would say, clearly you're aware that I'm not French by my accent. So prepare yourself. There will be some grammar mistakes, but I just kept talking. Well, that's a good idea. I had a boss once and he said to me, he always opened his speeches with as unaccustomed as I am to public speaking. And he said, then it kind of covered him if he (laughs) made mistakes. Absolutely. And it's advice that I give to my clients, whether I'm working with non-native speakers, which I non-native English speakers, Mm -hmm. which I do. But even if you're a native English speaker, and this comes a little bit back, it's beautiful. I love it when conversations come full circle. This comes back a little bit to the idea of crutch words. And and the thing about about it is authenticity to me trumps everything. And so just like your boss, right, name it, you know, and just like me in, you know, a random cafe, you know, in front of the Seine in Paris, when I was meeting Baptiste or whoever I was meeting, Mm -hmm. name it immediately. You take some of your power back that way. You acknowledge what your issues, and I'm using inverted commas, are. (laughs) And then it gives you freedom, just like your boss. It it gives you the freedom to share your message, which is the whole point. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like to share your idea or to share your message. And I tell that story because I think it's really important that, and just to go back a little a little ways in our interview earlier, when you asked me if I'd ever struggled with speaking, I've never struggled with speaking English. Right. Okay. But, but moving here and having that experience really let me step into the shoes of somebody who was afraid to speak. Yes. Yeah. Cause there's plenty of people who have that experience in their own language. A thousand percent. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest phobias, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, called glossophobia for anyone who's who's really technical. That is it. I didn't know that. It's the fear of speaking. Yeah, glossophobia is the fear of speaking. And it affects a huge number of the population. But to answer your question a little bit more specifically about crutch words, it really does depend on who you're speaking to and what the context is. I'll give you a brief example. I have seen through the course of my work, Quite a few TED Talks where the, the vibe is casual, but there's not a single crutch word and it's incongruous because we as natural human beings, there's not a single person 
in their daily conversation who doesn't use some kind of a filler Mm -hmm. word. That is our reality. So when you see somebody in a context where they're trying to present themselves as casual with zero crutch words, it has the opposite effect. Right. It actually feels more formal because there's this omission of this natural thing that we all do. Okay. So in that context of, of a casual speaking environment, and this could be a TED talk, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, there are other such perhaps if you're speaking in front of a judge in court, that's something else, right? That is a really formal environment. So sometimes it can backfire. Sometimes eliminating all crutch words can backfire on your authenticity. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And even to, even in this interview right now, I have used filler words. Um, is a really good filler word <laughs> of mine. Yes. When I like. It, yeah. And I don't think it undermines anyone's efficacy when they're speaking. And this is why I say it's a bit unorthodox, because there are some people who will tell you that you'll you'll represent yourself again with my inverted commas badly (laughs) if you use filler words or crutch words now that being said if you're speaking on a podcast the circumstances are different and one of the fabulous tips that you give in I believe it was in the episode of how to be a good podcast guest or a great podcast guest (laughs) in which is fabulous by the way and something I share I'm sharing with my clients because I thought it was brilliant and and really spot on and extremely helpful but one of the tips that you list is speaking in soundbite and if there are too many crutch words the soundbite isn't as good as it could be so you confirm you're as a professional you can say that this is this is true right Yes. Yeah. This so in a podcast interview context, I, I coach my clients to prepare their sound bites. That's good advice. Without any filler words, but not their whole interview. Not to worry about the conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. Given the ethos of my work, communication, not perfection, I'm, and my own experience of living in France and, and going through what I went through, I say to people, I want you to be as authentically you as you can. And if forcing yourself to eliminate words like um or uh or like is going to transform you into someone you're not, the ends doesn't justify the means. Fully agree with that. I think it's most important to be yourself. People really get a sense of that on a podcast interview. That's one of the benefits. Absolutely. And I think, and this is also something that you and I have talked about even outside of this interview is once when you really get tapped into what your purpose is, you'll notice that a lot of those crutch words start to fall away by themselves. When we're in our zone of genius, and I was listening to a a really interesting um, man speaking about this whose name escapes me right now, but he was talking about how almost spiritual it can be when we're in our, when we're talking about our zone of genius and how it's almost, it's almost like the words come out all by themselves. When we're in our zone of genius, we're less self-conscious because we're so connected to our purpose and our why that the, the crutch words themselves don't even come out because we're just in that, in the flow of sharing what we ultimately just want to share with the world. 
which I think is a really beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. What tends to be the biggest concern your clients have about speaking? Is there something that comes up a lot? It depends. Of course, it depends on if I'm working with a native or a non-native speaker. Non-native speakers are the number one concern, which I always think is is adorable. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all. But their number one concern is really their accent, which is not an, an issue at all. And I, I, I walk them through that. But I think overall, the biggest concern, again, it's in two parts. It's looking foolish. Right. And not communicating what they really, truly want to communicate. I had a client tell me, and I am so grateful to her because she just articulated so beautifully the problem that I want to solve for my clients. And she was a French speaker, but it's true even in your native language. She said, I just want to be able to express myself with ease and confidence. And that's what everybody wants. It is, it is definitely. Looking foolish and not being able to express your ideas, communicate your purpose or whatever it is that's, that's driving you to show up and speak in the first place, which comes back to the why that we talked about earlier. Those I would, I would say are the two biggest issues. Earlier, you mentioned stage fright. How can you best deal with stage fright? This is, I'm so excited to share this tip with your audience <laughs> because there's a really, there are lots of things we can do to manage stage fright. And it's important to say that when I work with my clients, I say to them, if there comes a day when you have zero stage fright, I will not work with you anymore. Not because you've really, yeah, not because you've achieved some, you know, goddess status of speaking, but <laughs> we all need a little bit of stage fright to remind us that we actually care about what we're doing, that we actually are connected to what we're doing. I had a little bit of butterflies in my belly before this interview and they didn't overtake me, but it's because I care so much and I was excited. And there is a difference between paralyzing stress and nervous excitement absolutely they're very close I think nerves and excitement as well aren't they they're very close and I don't know if you have heard uh, her talk about this but the author Glennon Doyle has invented a word for this and I love it so much and they she calls it skited which is a mixture of scared and excited I haven't heard that but I like it it's funny right so it's yeah. not scared, like it's not scared as in fear of something I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. It's fear of something I do want to do. Yeah. Which is the good kind. And the good news is I have a great practical tip on what we can do physically to manage stage fright. And this uh, I heard on a podcast, a fantastic podcast out of Stanford called uh, Think Fast, Talk Smart. And there were a couple of scientists who we're talking about stage fright and what they said, and it's something I repeat to, to many people, to my clients, is we all are really accustomed to being told or to telling ourselves to take a deep breath, right? We get nervous, let's take a deep breath. But what is fascinating is the message that it sends, taking a deep breath doesn't send the message of calming down to your brain that you want it to. 
what you need to do to get your limbic system to calm down is actually breathe in, let's say, for example, for five counts and breathe out for longer than you breathed in. So with my clients, I use the five and seven, right? So breathe in for five, breathe out for seven. And there's a biological effect on the brain that takes you from fight or flight into a much more calming state of mind. Brilliant. Oh, that's so useful. Thank it's a practical you. tip, right? It's really just yeah. make sure your your make, make sure your exhale is longer than your inhale, and you will notice that your heart rate will slow down, that your the shakes will start to diminish, and you'll start to calm down much faster than just taking a deep breath. Do you think it's possible for someone who is afraid of speaking, be it to an audience or on an interview panel or even on a podcast to get to the point where it's something they enjoy? This is a fantastic question. (laughs) No one has ever asked me this question. No one has ever asked me this question. And I think it's really important. My brain immediately goes to desire. Right. So for the person, and it's also beautifully connected a little bit to the things that we're afraid of that we don't want to do and the things that we're afraid of that we do want to do. So the element of desire or of wanting to speak has to be there. Yes. If it's not there, I don't actually think one could ever get over it. There has to be the desire to overcome it, even if it's teeny teeny tiny small inkling (laughs) and we don't know where to turn or who to talk to or how to do it or what to do but we keep the the thought keeps coming back I really want to be on a podcast I'd love to be on a podcast you know a few days goes by gosh a podcast that would be so cool if I could do that Mm -hmm. it had you had every it starts with desire if the desire is there there is zero question in my mind that it can become something enjoyable that zero question. I've seen it happen myself with my clients. So the good news is, is if you want to, you can do it. What was that great quote from Back to the Future, which is a fantastic movie. And you love Back to the Future. Yeah. Isn't it? If you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Perfect. (laughs) Do many of your clients speak on podcasts? Is it something that they include in their marketing? Do they come to you for support with podcasts? I've had people come to me in a panic because they've been suddenly asked to speak on a podcast and they were not expecting or prepared for it. So though in those clients are not people that, that are even really in a position to be doing it for uh, marketing purposes. But I personally think as a business owner and entrepreneur myself, podcasting is to me, it's like the ninja of the, of the marketing world. And I think that there aren't enough people taking advantage of this fantastic resource. Absolutely. I agree with you. Would you say that you've seen that as well in your business? Definitely. Yeah. I think so many people aren't aware of it, of how they can use it. It's still very new. And how effective it is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The benefits. What I find is a lot of the time people will say, well, how big is the podcast? What's the reach? And they're actually, they're not aware of all the other benefits that you get, such as the networking with the hosts, the access to the hosts lists and their social media and the connections you make. The fact that a podcast is evergreen. So once you've made it, it's an asset. Someone can discover it months down the line, years down the line after you recorded it and how that it really helps with the no like and trust factors 
someone listening to you and they can listen to you for I say half an hour and really get to know you which can shorten the sales process yeah so many benefits yeah and I'd like to add even another one which is from my perspective it is an opportunity for you to talk about your work and I don't know how it is for you Victoria but for me I love doing podcasts because I spend so much time in my work I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk about my work. And bring some clarity too to your thoughts around your work, what you're trying to say. People ask you things in different ways and it makes you think. Absolutely. And also it sets you up if you're a business owner or entrepreneur or creative who does see a TED Talk in their future podcasting, not only from the exposure, which everything you said on that list is is valid and true, but also from the preparation, which is sort of my end of it, is such an accessible resource that anybody who wants to be a speaker should be making, getting on podcasts and being interviewed by podcast hosts a priority to get to that goal. And it's something that you can do from anywhere. It doesn't matter if there's a pandemic, you can still speak. Or if you're traveling, you can do it from your hotel room. Very easy to fit into your life if you want to make it part. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but I am a collaborator at heart. I I have Mm -hmm. my own business. I'm a solopreneur, not necessarily by choice. I feel my practice, my clients are my collaborators and I spend as much time in collaboration with them as I possibly can. But also when you go to speak on a podcast, the amount of ideas and inspiration that's generated from a conversation. So we've talked about the marketing benefits. We've talked about the preparation benefits, but how about the new ideas benefits? The fact of having a conversation with a new person about your business will spark new things in your mind of, oh, you know, I no one's ever asked me that question before. I wonder if there's a need there. I wonder if that's something I could do. It's, it's endless in terms of, in terms of the good that it can bring. And I, I really think that more and more people should be speaking on podcasts and sharing their messages. All of, all of us, all of the entrepreneurs and creatives and business owners got into it in the first place because we want to, in some small way, change the world and make it better probably. Yes, absolutely. It's a great way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big podcast fan. Well, thank you for chatting with me today. Um, It's been a pleasure as always. Where can listeners go to connect with you? So you can find me at Perdita Andrews pretty much anywhere. LinkedIn, Instagram, my website, which is perditaandrews.com. And I do have for anybody who does have that desire, that skited desire percolating (laughs) in their bellies. I do have on my website, my core four principles for successful speaking. And it's just a little guide of four tips to remember when you're planning to speak. So excellent. We'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you so much for listening to the best guest podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.